All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here. You can watch or listen to the podcast on RT.ie, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm joined on this Bank Holiday Monday by Keith Tracy and Johnny McDonald. And there's plenty to chat about from Derry City's European Odyssey to the latest League of Ireland action, as well as James McLean's welcome at Wrexham and the new Premier League season, which is just around the corner as well. But first, the FIFA Women's World Cup, which every game is live on RT Television and the RT Player. And as we're recording this morning, it's uh, coming towards the tail end of England against Nigeria and they're toward, right at the very end of extra time. Penalty shootout looks like it's on the cards unless something happens here in stoppage time. But uh, Johnny, you were just um, talking to me off air there about the, the red card for uh, Lauren James and obviously the referee uh, gave a yellow card initially. But, you know, once VAR checked it, you know, you saw more evidence than just uh, the, the so-called stamp. Yeah, I just, I just, I, I just looked at it when they showed it back again. You know, everyone was obviously looking at the uh, stamp. It wasn't too bad, but the the intention was there to stamp on the player Abalazi, I think it is, and it was a bit like, uh, "Don't be tackling me and winning the ball back off me." I, I, I just thought it was a bit of arrogance about it. But not only that, it was as she was getting up off the ground, she's used her two fists into the back of the Nigerian player as well, which is, when you look back at it again, and I think, you know, VAR got 100% right. Uh, Nigeria, for me, have, have been great. Like, they, they're well, I don't mean well-organised. Sometimes that can be a bit patronising. They've matched everything England have thrown up against them, physically, tactically, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, look, England would be happy to get through to get the penalties. They'd have a great chance on penalties. But with the extra player, Nigeria have... They just went a bit wild. The Roy Full has gone to play out, so he left. He played three at the back, two wing backs. So they've had a right go in the second half, but you know it looks like England are going to hold out for penalties here. But yeah. It's been a really, really good match, really good game. Yeah, they in fact it's just gone to uh, to penalties there. And uh, Keith, I mean, yesterday uh, the United States, who are the most successful team in Women's World Cup history, won it four times. Never, never finished below the bronze medal position. Got uh, knocked out on penalties against Sweden, but you know the 120 minutes was gripping enough. But the the shootout itself, I mean, starts off very well, but then the the last few kicks, uh, and especially like great players like Megan Rapino, you know, it was a uh, is a little bit wide of the mark, um, quite literally. Yeah, literally once uh, once one person missed, they all just need to miss it. Everybody missed that once. But Megan Rapinoe's reaction, you know, I, I know I've seen her today uh, doing, doing an interview for one of the news outlets and she's addressing shit. I know I'm smiling after, but there's a little bit of dark humour and all of this. As a coach and as, a, as an ex-player, if, I, if I'm sitting there and I'm standing there and one of the players has missed the penalty in the wall, could be turning around and smiling from ear to ear, I wouldn't react well to it. I'm, I'm, I think I find it very hard to hold me home, especially if we end up losing the losing the game. So look, it was just one of those things, but it's literally the width of an envelope, isn't it, that separates the two teams at the end of it. In real time, when I looked at it, I thought that hasn't that hasn't gone over the line, and then you get the you get the VAR graphic, and it's so so tight. But yeah, look, I, I think the 120 minutes was was largely forgettable, but so much drama in the penalty shootout, and it looks like we could uh, could get some drama now between. England and Nigeria, and like what Johnny said, I back her up. I think Nigeria have been really good, and if Nigeria can somehow just win this lottery of the penalty shootout, it makes our our point against Nigeria look all that much better again, doesn't it? Yeah, and uh, as they're preparing for the penalties here, Johnny, just uh, you know, with the managerial mindset, what are you looking for for players? Obviously, the ones who put their hands up and immediately ask uh, to take one, I guess, are the are the obvious choices and. I guess also those who are maybe carrying knocks, you might be a little bit uh, wary, uh, kind of putting putting up for one. Sometimes, like you can, you'll obviously plan ahead and say, if it goes to penalties, who's our first five penalty takers if they're still on the pitch, or if it's getting close to the end of the game, you know, Keith Tracy might be on the bench and I might put Keith on in the last thirty seconds because I know he never misses penalties, and that's a tactical change that you might have to make right at the very very end of the game. But it's really down to the individual and. You know the mental. You 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 talk about you know being on in the USA. It's it's the mental approach and how you deal with it. Some people can deal with it easy, and some people it just gets them. Uh, some people enhance it and it just upsets other people. But it's a lottery, definitely a lottery. And uh, you know you just make sure that the players are confident and they go and take the penalty. They get a good strike on the ball. They don't change their mind. All that stuff. But it's just down to the mindset of of of, of the player. 
Yeah, and uh, overall, Keith, as well, I mean, looking at the... This has been a real tournament of shocks as well. I mean, other than... I think Japan are the only former winner that are that are, that are left standing. And, you know, we've seen, like, unfortunately, from an Irish point of view, we weren't among those surprise teams getting to the last 16s. But it's been a very good tournament that way. Yeah, it has. I think everybody likes that. Don't be from a, from a neutral standpoint. Once Ireland gets knocked out, you want to see the underdogs, the so-called underdogs coming up to the big boys. And yeah, we've seen it time and time again. We're obviously the USA getting knocked out. You know, I, I, I know with the men, we obviously, sometimes we begrudge the English men a bit of success because we know it'll filter across the pond and they, they won't really shut up about it for years. So with the women as well, sometimes we're maybe begrudging them a bit of success, but it's just because we like to see the underdogs with the, with the English women. They're obviously a very big, uh, very big nation at women's football, so we do like to see the underdogs do well. And yeah, I have to say, I am I'm rooting for Nigeria here in this uh, in the penalty shootout as well. Yeah, so they're about to kick off here, and uh, we'll we'll obviously uh, keep you up to date with that. Although by the time this podcast goes out, the result will be well known, and they'll be into the the other last sixteen game that's happened today, also live on RT uh, two and the RT player, which is Australia Denmark, will have probably kicked off by then. But uh, just a final point on the World Cup uh, before we come back to the the shootout later on, Johnny. Um, your read on Vera Pau's situation and the contract. Uh, what's your expectation just from the mood music? Do you think that's it and done and you know that Ireland I suppose will be will be moving on and looking for a new manager soon yeah okay let, you know let, let's take it from the point of view that for Vera she's qualified Ireland for the World Cup first time ever you got you got to applaud her for that whether the players like her or whether the players don't like her I don't know the ins and outs of it whether the association want her there or not she's done the job you've got to say well done congratulations is she the right coach or the manager to bring it forward I, I don't know um, there's been a lot gone on in the, in the last week it's it's headline it's you know it's overshadowed us qualifying for the for the World Cup and getting the, 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 the couple of results um, I don't think there's any going back on this I think it's it's moving forward I, I think it's you know have we a plan B in place have we got somebody lined up you know if they don't there's a game coming up in September Raph I think it's September's the next competitive game so they, they need to have their ducks in a row they need to be organised and, and, and see who they have lined up for it so uh, look I think with all the stuff that's going on well done Vera brilliant and maybe it's just time to, to move around a, a fresh start I said it a couple of weeks ago when we were on I just think it's brilliant what 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 they've done in qualifying for the World Cup I think they've won the World Cup by qualifying if you ask me I watched them against the French I spoke about that how far we were behind the French so it's what we do from now this is the starting point how we go from now in the next two or three years or five years can we be in the quarterfinals of the World Cup in the next World Cup or whatever it might be, or the Euros so I think that's where the focus should be and the planning should be and who they put in place, the coaches that they put in place for the high-performance underage, underage girls. You know, we should be looking at girls 12, 13 and 14 now and in four years' time or whatever it might be in six years' time in the Euros playing in, in Euro finals and World Cup finals. So I think that's where the focus should be and we trying to get to that level. So that's, that's, that's what I'd be really, really concentrating on. Yeah, and uh, the first kick in the shootout is about to take place here. But uh, in the Europa Conference League, obviously Derry City are the team that are still flying the flag for the League of Ireland and uh, 1-5-4 on aggregate against uh, the Finnish side Coops. Uh, 3-3 draw away in Finland. Kian Kavan on the score, score sheet. Uh, Sadu Giallo as well. And then Michael Duffy with the header. And uh, just as I look up, Georgia Stanway of England has uh, booted her penalty <laughs> left and wide um, of the post. But uh, back to the... Oh, yeah, uh... you're smiling. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anyway, um, as that goes on, it's still a long way to go. That's one kick. But um, anyway, um, as I said, Derry City, um, you know, one five four 5 on aggregate. That's a great result. And now they face Tobol Kostanai of Kazakhstan and long journey to come this Thursday. But uh, Keith, first on that uh, on that second leg, I think you're, um, yourself and Conan were talking last week about Derry needing to play on the front foot, certainly, you know, scoring three goals away from home in a second leg in Finland uh, certainly is uh, playing somewhat on the front foot so what did you make of their performance overall? Yeah I, I thought as an as an attacking performance it was very good I think uh, the first thing Rory Higgins says he, he doesn't want to be conceding three goals when he travels away from home but 
I, sometimes with, with Stephen Bradley and Shamrock Rovers, when, when Rovers go away from home, obviously with them being in the Champions League draw and then filtering down, they've played some really, really good teams. So when Rovers go away from home, I was a little bit sceptical about them going toe-to-toe with people and pressing all over the park because they could, teams teams that they're playing against can go through you with it like a night through. But we've seen that over over Rovers' uh, European campaign. But with Derry and Cukes, Cukes are a decent team, but they're a counter-attacking team. So if Derry were... were if they kept the ball well, and when they did lose it in transition, if they just had somebody like Diallo, who's very good at defensive midfielder, just smelling a bit of danger. So, they, look, I I, thought, I think they did really well. They wouldn't have wanted to concede the three goals, but to go over there and score three themselves and get the draw was a really, really good attacking performance. And I just don't want, like, they're going to be one of the, arguably the best team in Finland over two legs. They beat Torshavn over two legs. They've gone and got a Kazakhstan team now who are sitting sixth in the Kazakhstan Premier League at the minute. I hope they just don't take a broad view of it and think we should be able to beat this on paper because that's a dangerous, dangerous view. I think a couple of the Irish teams with the, with the Luxembourg team that be uh, do the launch at these same pats. I think if you start looking at it broadly like that, you could, uh, you could get a little slap on the knuckles. But they beat Basel over two legs. So these are a decent, decent team. This is not going to be an easy game for Derry. So I'm willing and I'm hoping that you do it because over the last two weeks or so since the order for start, the, the Irish he took a little bit of a little bit of a pattern. So I hope Derry, I know it's, it's probably only going to be the it is only the one club going to keep it going in Europe, but I'd rather one than none. So I'm really hoping and I'm sure all, all League of Ireland fans are that, that Derry can get through that toy. Yeah, and uh, as we're speaking there, Nigeria also missed a penalty, an exact carbon copy of uh, the one Georgia Stanway missed, although England have did, did have gone on and scored their second, uh, and just uh, Nigeria about to take their second kick here and before we move and she's blazed it well over the bar took her points right there but anyway um uh johnny just on um one of the players that i feel has probably made an impact for Derry city has been paul mcmullen arrived uh during the window has seems to have been a really good addition uh put in the cross for uh keen kavanagh's opener in finland and you know really good run seems a pretty dynamic uh player uh within that squad yeah, it's been a great acquisition. He settled in really quickly, you know. As we spoke about Derry in, in, in recent times about them needing forward players and uh, sometimes you, you, you can panic and pick out someone and, and sign them because they're available. And I think Rory was patient. And I think that's down to his time as well when he walked at Dundalk. He'd done a lot of that recruitment for Stephen Kenny as well. So he was nice and patient and got the right player in to fit to the system. And, you know, they've, they've been down a few players over the last while as well. You talk about Duffy coming back and getting a goal. Duffy's come back into it. So they're only going to get stronger. So hopefully, you know, with the additions of McMullen and, and the players coming back from injury, that they can go to Kazakhstan and, and get a result. But it, it, it won't be easy. It's been disappointing that Rovers, Dundalk and, and Pats went out. But uh, especially for the coefficient and for next year as well. So obviously for the finances of the club also. But uh, just just again uh, for the profile of clubs and 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 the players and stuff like that. But uh, it'll be a difficult toy for them out there. As Keith said they're sixth in, in the table, but you know I think Derry have, have added well. To, as I say, with McMullen coming in and the squad, the squad is strengthened now, and they're nearly back to full strength. So it'll give them a chance, Raf. Definitely give them a chance. Yeah, and the other thing I suppose to factor in as well, just uh, Kazakhstan, it's a very, very long way away from here, um, Keith. So the journey itself will probably take a lot out of them, even not factoring in uh, the team they're they're coming up against. Because uh, on top of it, as you said, Tobol will be difficult. They have a few uh, Kazakhstan internationals like Baghdad, uh, Kairov, Samat, uh, Jarn Betov and uh, Ramzan Orozov. And they, between them, have about, uh, you know, 30 odd caps between them. So they're, you know, these are, these are international players but it's the these these long punishing journeys um maybe the first leg is probably the best uh it's it, that's it's probably best that that's the first leg especially with the ucd game getting postponed beforehand as well but that'll be uh rec- dealing with that you know i suppose that uh that journey will probably be the main thing first yeah look i think a lot will be made about that but i think uh rory higgins now over the last since they've won that toy that he will be getting into the players head listen we're going to go over to Kazakhstan. We're going to put in a real shift. We're going to leave nothing there. We're going to empty the tank. And I'll look after you when we get back in terms of days off, getting going into spas, whatever they have to do, getting massages. 
because this is this is the big but this is really really big leagues now you know the amount of money that's involved in here the, the club will be desperate to get through this time if you get through this time how many millions are, I'm not sure you probably know Raph but I'm sure Rory Higgins will be just desperate to go over there and the, the mindset will be listen we're going to we are going to uh, be really we're going to be physically empty the tank here we're going to run all day long we're going to give them nothing if we lose 1-0 so be it but we bring them back to Derby with the with the game still in the balance. And look, I remember we played Minsk when I was at Pats, we played Minsk and that, that was a decent uh, uh, way away in Belarus. So we had to go and stop in, in the middle of Europe somewhere and then get another uh, refuel the plane and then go again. So it ended up being about a seven or eight hour flight on a, a little uh, 30-seat charter flight. But the lads dig in, you know what it is. You've been looking forward to this all season. As soon as the fixtures come out and you know you're in Europe, you start looking at this. So I'm sure the Derry players will be thinking it's a long flight, but I'm sure Rory Higgins and the, the sports science lads will be getting around with them, telling them how to look after their bodies and they'll be doing things properly because, like I say, if they get through that toy, it's uh, it's mega bucks. Yeah, and then the second leg is taking place at Tallis Stadium, um, oh, yeah, yeah. Johnny, which uh, obviously that's down to the criteria in terms of stadiums, the further you go in these rounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, that's it's not quite a journey to Kazakhstan from Derry, but it's still still a lengthy enough trip, especially for the supporters as well. So um, how much of a factor is that? Obviously, we're projecting a little bit far ahead because we don't know what the first leg is going to be like in terms of the, the result. But obviously, that's not it's not ideal from a Derry point of view. I think Derry have done. I think the pitch hinders Derry up and Derry. I think they we, they they speak about it a lot. Rory Rory has spoken about it many times. That you know their, their pitch up and Derry, they prefer to be playing on a grass pitch. So I, I think I don't think it'd be a hindrance to them to go and play in Tala. Pitch is good, proper pitch. You know the stadium is good, and uh, look, I, I I think it'll, it'll suit them definitely suit them to uh, go and play in the grass pitch, Raf. Yeah, and uh, just uh, just as you as you say that England have beaten Nigeria on penalties four two on penalties after a nil all draw, and what that ha- does is they play the winner of Colombia against Jamaica um, in the quarterfinal on Saturday, 12th of August, 11.30 kickoff, that would be. And, uh, you know, that'll, that'll be live, obviously, on our on RT television and the RT player. And, I mean, <laughs> it was a tough one, Johnny, but it actually really opens the door for England now. Oh, well, I just, I, I, I was looking at the game and, and you know, I, I'm not saying... It, a World Cup level, but you've been in matches or you've been in tournaments where you're going, nothing's going right with us here. We've a player sent off. You just need to dig in. You just need to keep it, you know, be patient. You just need no one else lose the head. We're good enough for here. And, you know, they just, sometimes when you just grind that one out, that'll just give you the confidence to go on. Now. I mean, looking at Japan, Japan are a good team as well. So, but it really does open the door for them. Uh, Jamaica being a surprise team, you know, I don't, I haven't seen Colombia, but I've seen a bit of Jamaica, but just for, on the England, from the England side, I just think that's a release valve for them there. And, you know, they go away from the game today. Wow, we got out with this. So, so lucky to get out with this. Put it behind us and march on. Yeah, and uh, obviously the other quarterfinal today, or sorry, the other last 16 game today, it'll be Australia against Denmark, which is uh, kicking off very shortly on RT2 and the RT player. But moving on to the SSC or Tristy League Premier Division, and we're going to have Pats against Bowles live on RT2 and the RT player this Friday coming, so that's going to be worth watching. We also had... Um, we also had Sligo Rovers against Pats on uh, TV. I think you were uh, you were on commentary for that, uh, Johnny, uh, up in the showgrounds. In the rain, yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, look, it was rough. They, I thought Pats were very good. I thought he controlled the game from the very start. Um, it's like I had, had a fair bit of the ball without creating any chances. They were nice and comfortable on it. Pats just always looked to me as if they'd another bit, you know, an extra gear you could go again. And I'd say, you know, Jonathan Daly was delighted not to concede a goal, even though he conceded a penalty in the last kick of the game. But they had lots of chances. Cardi had lots and lots of chances. Um, on another day, they could have been four or five, uh, maybe yeah. four or five one. Was yeah. look, I, 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 again, I spoke about Pats a few weeks ago. I just think it's a free hit for them this season. There's nothing expected. Change a manager. You get Europe. The, the standard for for St. Pat should be every year. We're, we're in Europe. We're getting to Europe, and I think that should be across the board. I think that's walking the door standard for coaches, players, managers, staff. You know that should be expected from a club, a, a Pat stature. And uh, it, it it was a good win. A big game coming up now on Friday against Balls. Big big game. 
Yeah, for sure. So that result, of course, uh, St. Pat's winning 2-0 away at Sligo Rovers with Chris Forrester scoring a penalty in the 12th minute and then Sam Curtis adding another 20 minutes later. Let's listen to the player of the match, Adam Murphy, and then also manager John Daly. We're both talking to Darren Frell. Adam, congratulations. How do you feel after that? Yeah, listen, brilliant win. Um, you know, it's a difficult place to come to. We knew during the week that we'd have to prepare really. Um, I thought we managed the game well. Uh, second half probably didn't have as much possession as you like, but sometimes when you're it up in the first half, it's just about managing the game. And listen, I thought we done it well. And uh, yeah, we're coming away with three points, so couldn't ask for much more. You're one point off top spot. Are you real contenders, do you feel? Um, listen, we're just taking it game by game. I think that's the best way to, to manage a season. Um, you know, we're always looking towards our next match, and um, you know, this was our next match, and we thought we could get three points in it and find really well. Um, so, listen, we'll enjoy tonight, but um, you know, we have a game next week to prepare for now. You're one of two teenagers in the starting 11 tonight. What is it like for you, young guys, in this team? Yeah, listen, we're a very young squad. Um, you know, the likes of myself, Sam, both teenage, SJ, 20, um, Connor again, 21. So, uh, we're a young squad, but I think we have a great mix of senior pros as well, and that's probably what can get us over the line at times. And they're great to learn off. You know, the likes of Chris for me, especially as a midfielder. You know, you're watching them in training and watching them in games, trying to pick off, pick up anything you can really often. But listen, we're a young team, but um, I think we're where where we are because we deserve to be there. John, congratulations. How big is that win for you guys? Oh, it's massive. As we spoke about before the game, it's been a difficult venue for us. They've been a difficult opponent um, in my time at the club. So, very pleased. Thought it was a very good performance. Probably could have been a little bit more comfortable if we were more clinical. Um, you know, we had a, plenty of chances and then plenty of opportunities to play a, a better final ball that we maybe um, we didn't do. So, um, but no, very pleasing. Delighted for the players. They put in an absolute shift and, you know, clean sheet is huge. Joe Redmond at the back helped with that and Dino, Dino made a great save um, at 2-0 from Hartman as well. So, um, no, really pleased. Massive three points and obviously we look forward now to the next week against Bose. You're in this title race, aren't you? Have you got a shot at it, do you think? Well, of course. You're never going to shy away from the fact that we're a point off top of the league now. Um, we're there or thereabouts. We're well aware that the league is tight. You know, I think it's nine points between top and six. So I think everybody's in a title race, if I'm being honest. You know, anyone that puts a, a good run of results together has got a chance to, to finish near the top of the league. So um, we won't get carried away. It's, it's three points. We've got a massive game now next week against Bowers. And then after that, we'll, we'll focus on the next game. Yeah, and it's a dairy after that. It's this week or two could make or break our season, couldn't it? Yeah, obviously it's a it's a huge uh, time in the season for us. We're we're well aware of that again. So, um, as I said, we we knew coming here tonight it was going to be a difficult game. Um, the intensity levels were good. We were clinical enough with our chances. As I said, if we had been a bit more clinical, we would have we would have been um, a lot more comfortable. All right, so that is St. Pat's manager uh, John Daly there, and not and not shying away from you know talking about the potential of being in a title race. Obviously, still, obviously, still four points behind uh, Shamrock Rovers, but uh, Keith, the key part as well, of course, is Joe Redmond coming back, and you know they had they've had their fair share of injuries, especially at the back, but. 10 games to go now, um, you know, that's a key piece of the puzzle at the back, uh, you know, slotting right back in and seemed to, didn't seem like he was away um, as he, uh, obviously he played uh, the cup game as well, but it, it seemed like he slotted straight back in seamlessly enough. Yeah, he did. He, uh, Joe, Joe's a great professional. You can tell that he's, he's come back from his injury, the, the hamstring injury, and he looks really good, doesn't look out of place, doesn't look, doesn't look like he's going to take a couple of games to hit the ground running, which is what you want from your, from your captain and your leader. And there was a point in, in John's commentary I thought was, was really good when there was a ball slipped down the side of him. And I, I can't, it was one of the Sligo players, but had Joe's body shape been flat, then he wouldn't have been, he would have had to turn his body and get into the race. But the fact that he was side on and he was sort of saying, I let you play that ball there and I know I'm going to get the block in as the ball goes there. It was just a little body position, really, really good. And Joe Redmond coming back is a, is a big one because I know that missing Grigowski as well. I'm not sure how far off he is, but two two fourth choice centre has have been missing for a large part of the season. Sam Court is only 17 years of age. He's been filling in at centre half. I do think his best position is right back because he's so good going forward and give you so much going forward. But so much at St. Pat's is just going right. Chris Forrester, the old ahead in there. I think he's up to 12 goals now. He's just so he is Mr. St. Pat's. If you can stop Chris, you will generally stop. Uh, St. Pat's playing well. Young Connor Carkey, every every game I watch of his, he's getting better and better. His holder play is getting better. He's 
his general hold of play, his, his play in terms of not scoring goals has been brilliant. He just needs to add more goals to his games. If he can do that, I think, you know, clubs across the world, they'll probably even want them back. So even Mark Doyle, Mulrady, McClellan, all doing really, really well at the minute. And if Shamrock Rovers keeps stuck like he had been in the league, then I think Shamrock, uh, sorry, uh, St. Pat's could, could catch them. But I have to be honest, I do think Shamrock Rovers now, being out of Europe, being out of the FEI Cup, only having the league to concentrate on, I expect Shamrock Rovers to, to really kick on. and haven't beaten Cork last night. I know it was only 2-1. It wasn't ultra convincing. But sometimes when you're in that row, I think they lost the last five in the bench. When you're in that row, you just have to win the next game. And they've done that. And I expect Rovers to get better from, from here on in. Yeah, and then the other side of the coin, of course, from uh, that game at the showgrounds, of course, was Sligo Rovers, who have had a pretty uh, disappointing season by their kind of the standards of recent years. And uh, John Russell was also talking to Darren Frell afterwards. John, you cut a frustrated figure out on that touchline that was set right behind you. What are you disappointed most about tonight? Obviously, yeah, we, we lost the game. Um, we performed really well at home in the, the previous two games against uh, Bohemians and Cork. Um, you know, to, to give away a penalty so early in the game, I thought we started quite well. Um, puts you on the back foot going one nil down. And um, in fairness, Pats were good tonight on the transitions. You know, we had a lot of possession at times, but um, when, we, when we gave it away cheaply, they, they broke quickly with their wingers and, and, and they missed a couple of chances as well. Obviously, we, we missed the penalty late on, um, but can't fault the effort of the players. You know, at half time to be 2 0 down, they came out. You had a lot of possession there, Johnny. Disappointed you didn't turn that into. That's, that's the key. Yeah, second half, you know, we, we needed to penetrate more, work the keeper uh, in that final third, and, and that's been our Achilles heel this year. Um, you know, getting players into dangerous areas. Um, we need to do it more often, and we didn't do that tonight. Thanks. Thank you. All right, so that is like Rovers manager uh, John Russell, and as I said, a bit of a disappointing season for the bitter red. Now, Keith, this came off the back of Max Mata's uh, confirmed departure to Shrewsbury Town. Of course, he's been their top scorer, and uh, Pedro Martello, Portuguese forward, who came in um, and played as the target man, missed a couple of chances uh, during the first half, but. You know, when you look at um, a Martello's performance and the the void that's left up front for Sligo, would you worry for them a little bit? Because obviously they're they have a, they have a little bit of a cushion to Cork City, but still, you know, there's they're probably looking backwards more than they are um, up the table. Yeah, I do think they're looking over the shoulder rather than up. Rather than, you know, the one thing it would be like a a, a real gut wrenching feeling seeing Max Matter leave the group because he was the one player that. Other teams would have had to talk about every time they're playing Sligo, right? We need to deal with Max Matter because he's the player that Sligo had that could hit the back of the net. They've taken him out of there now, and like uh, like like they said there, they, they keep the ball for large periods, but they just are not productive with it. And if player if teams are going to keep the ball for 60, 70 of the game, and they're not getting shots off, and they're not moving goalkeepers, then having the ball becomes your almost enemy because teams just start to press you and pick you off. And like Johnny Russell said there, they they. Pats were good. They when they did win it, they went straight with a juggler and in transition. Sligo just couldn't deal with them. So yeah, I, I don't know what they can do. I don't fear for them rap in terms of relegation, getting involved in that. I think they're still, you know, still too good for that. And the types of U C D and Cork is still a bit of a buffer to them. But yeah, look at everybody, I think where where Shelbourne are at the minute, if you can just dig your heels in and somehow get north of Shelbourne, then you're doing all right in the league. But Shelbourne, like I said, are doing really, really well. They, if they can get north of them, which looks like a big, big ask already, then they'd be doing well. But I think it's just going to be one of those seasons for Sligo that, you know, they're not really playing for anything. not really going to get relegated and just just fizzles out. Yeah, and then the other result on uh, Friday night, of course, was Bohemians beating Drada United 4-2. Drada were uh, down to 10 men as well. Jonathan Afalabi, from the Bulls' point of view, scored a couple of goals as well. So he's um, continuing his uh, brilliant form. But uh, Siobhan Madigan was talking to the Drada manager, Kevin Doherty, afterwards. And it was uh, this portion of it is in relation to him turning down the Cork City job. So I'm going to get your thoughts on it, Johnny. But first, let's listen to uh, what Doherty had to say. Kevin, your own personal position, you spoke to Cork during the week and you came up with the decision by yourself to, to, to stay with Drogheda. Yeah. Why? Um, again, look, there's hopefully a lot of stuff happening here. and um, Yeah, I'm, look, again, the players I have here and the staff, are, like you know, I really, really, really like working with them. Um, we just got to, as I said, yeah, look, I was approached and spoke to them, but... Um, we've got a, our, our own battle, and we, I want to I want to fight that um, from this side of it. 
and um, yeah, that was really it. Like I said, we just I wanted to get ready and prepare for this game, and and and, and we've we've uh, well, we've got ten games left and, and a cup game. Well, at least one. Hopefully, we've a few more. So yeah, look, I like working with the players I have. I like working with the staff I have. Yes, I had conversations with the club, our, our own club, about the future as well, and I'm very pleased with what I heard. So hopefully, as I said, everything that that, that we, we spoke about, we, we, everyone will, will see at some stage. So yeah, look, spoke to them, move on. Uh, and what what kind of a deal have you got with Drogheda? Is it the end of this season or the end of next season? Next uh, next year, I signed a three year contract when I started, so another one next year anyway. So, um, but yeah, look as I said, hopefully things will things will uh, get even better for us here because again we do need. Look, we not everyone knows we need. We're, we're operating off something that probably f four or five. There's, there's, I know there's I know there's at least four or five first division teams with bigger resources and, and talk to us and we're way punching our way at the moment. But hopefully we'll we'll have a bit more weight uh, in the future, near future. There's Kevin Doherty there talking to Siobhan Madigan after Friday night's defeat. But um, defeat or not, he's done a brilliant job at Drada, Johnny. And uh, what did you make of, uh, I suppose, his explanation of why he felt, um, you know, the approach from Cork City wasn't exactly what he wants right now and that he kind of sees himself, uh, you know, staying at Drada and trying to build there with obviously promises being made about what the future might look like? Look, Kevin's a good lad, and as you say, he's done brilliant at Drogheda. He feels that there's more there. The club have obviously said, look, there's an ambition, there's a plan. At least, he's, you know, he's another year of a contract. Uh, Work-wise, family-wise, going to Cork. You know, if you go to Cork and you get relegated, you know, backwards, you know, Drogheda, what he's done in Drogheda and keeping him up in the last few years has been brilliant. You know, listening to him, what he just said there at the very end, it's crazy to think that there's teams in the fourth division have a bigger budget than Drogheda United. I can't believe that. I really can't. So, you know, if they say, you know, Drogheda say they have a plan and an ambition for the next few years, well, then they, they need to stand over it. And Kevin has obviously been convinced by it. Uh, he's a good lad. He's a bright lad. Uh, you hear him talking, he's calm, he's nice and relaxed. He doesn't get too flustered about things. And uh, yeah, I, I think he's probably made the right decision for himself. You know, I think Drogheda will stay up. They have a better chance of staying up than Cork, and I think that's that's really important for them as well. Can he get players into the club? And like you know, can he get like if if Drogheda finish ahead of Rovers this year? I just like a Rovers apologies. It's like a Rovers. I don't think they're up past Shelbourne as Keith said. I think Shells are going to be adding on and adding on. But priority for them. And for Kevin's to keep them in the division. So I think, you know, he's probably looking and saying Cork will be relegated and I just don't want to be in the fourth division next year. And it would take them two years to get back out of there. You see what's happening with Waterford and Galway as well, how long it's taken them to bounce back and, and get into the Premier League. So, yeah, I think his explanation was clear, concise, and I think he's made a good decision. Yeah, and on the other side of that result, of course, Bowles uh, winning, putting uh, or scoring four goals, but uh, not the most convincing display overall. I mean, good in attack, but obviously, given the fact that Drogheda were down to 10 men and it was a happening at Daly Mount Park as well, Keith, um, and, and also to note, Bowles had a lot of goals disallowed as well. Um, but still, they probably, you know, when you're playing against 10 men, you're probably hopeful of, you know, winning a little bit more convincingly than that. Yeah, it was a it was a crazy game, Raph. There was um, about thirty seconds into the game, Bow scored, and they should have scored just before they scored. It was, it was real. Drogheda might as well have said in the dressing room over the first two minutes. They just didn't turn up. They gave uh, they gave Bowes a chance after thirty seconds, and from the resulting corner, eight of their players ran to the front post, and the Bow player just ghosted in around the back of the big centre half with a lovely finish. And we're just thinking. That's, that's diabolical stuff. You're coming to Daily Mount, keep a tight, give them nothing, you're one nail down within a minute. And after that, I was thinking, I think Bowles could steamroll uh, Drotter here, but Drotter just got, got back in the game, just wrestled it. I really like Daddy Mark, Markey and the ball, keeps it really well. Kyle Robinson up front was a great outlet for him, hit the post with his left foot, was chasing things. And they dug in, they dug in, in the first half and they started to look the better team. Evan Weir then made a one all with a lovely header. Just after that, Try to get themselves back in the game. And 45 minutes of madness. Bowles get a goal disallowed. They look, look a little bit soft for me. Then Evan Weir gets sent off for a tackle on, on Connolly. That Connolly's running across the pitch. He's not even running towards the draw of the goal. And look, at, it's not a red parrot. He's low. He is a little bit reckless, but he's low in real time. 
I was at the game. I was at the game, and I thought, yeah, maybe that is a red card. When I when I got home and seen the replay, it was never a red card. It was a bad decision. Ball scored again and gets disallowed. The alignment flags. He says Dylan Connolly's in the goalkeeper's eye line. He was nowhere near the goalkeeper's eye line. It should have stood, but it was just two, two and fro, two and fro, and two odds. Right, they get themselves ahead. It ended up two off, but then at the end, Trotter just fell apart. And Trotter had large, large periods in the game where they were really good, looked a better team, but they couldn't defend set pieces. They were awful from set pieces. And in the last 10, 15 minutes or so, they just fell apart. And as when Afalabi and, and the rest of the balls attacked, just hit the, hit the gas button and ended up hitting the back of the net. But really good, entertaining game. And yeah, look, it wasn't far too suggest maybe balls were on top for a lot of the game. And Trotter to just hit the bump bump. It wasn't like that. It was a really, really competitive game. Trotter, they were in it. And Bowles just managed to come out the right side of that. But I've seen Bowles do that a couple of times this season where you're thinking there's not a lot in this season there uh, UCD. I think it was a couple of weeks ago where it, it, I think it was still uh, nil all going into the 75th minute and then all of a sudden they go and win a 2 and you're thinking that looked comfortable enough. Bowles are just getting over the line in games. But look, you're not, you're not going to go out and just blow teams away, you know, every game. So, if you can win like that, it's just another, you know, another weapon in your arsenal. So I think Declan Devine would be quite happy, even though it wasn't as convincing as maybe you think it was. Raph, they're still winning, and you know they're not far off uh, St. Pat's either. So they're in that, they're in that title race as well. Yeah, and then on Sunday, Dundalk and Shelburne drew one all. We'll talk about uh, Martin's free kick as well, because that was brilliant. But they're also in the, uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Keith, a crucial win for Shamrock Rovers in terms of they've had a terrible run, but beaten Cork City 2-1 um, at Tallis Stadium. And the goals in that one, uh, Johnny, I mean, Graham Burke's finish, brilliant. Um, and then Barry Coffey's as well, albeit maybe the wall could have been in a, maybe a different position from a Shamrock Rovers point of view, but still, if you don't take a shot you don't score and then Liam Burt as well you know he's had a difficult season since since arriving but that's uh, that's one hell of a way of sort of having a little bit of redemption like a solo goal yeah but like he and he, he hasn't had a lot of game time as well like uh, really really important win for Albers really important I think you know we not we all know what Graham Ball can do I don't think he's played enough this season He's been in and out of the team. He's been brought on. Jack Bourne is still out at, at the moment as well. So he's probably obviously playing because Jack's not playing. Uh, he needs to play week in and week out. For me, like Roberts haven't got... Spoke about them early on in the season. Slow start. Come back into it a bit. Dropped off at Europe again. If they go and win the league this year, they've kind of done it without being challenged too much, if you ask me, Raph and... As I said earlier, it's an opportunity for Pats or Derry, or, or especially Derry. Derry were the ones who you would have been asking to, to have a go with Shamrock Rovers this year. And even Bowles, as Keith said, they're still in it. But look, they're chugging along, I'd say, Shamrock Rovers in second gear. Chugging along in second or third gear. And uh, a 2-1 win, vital for them. And... Again, this weekend, as we both went Bowles and Pats, Bowles could go ahead of Pats if they beat Pats this weekend, and then Pats have to go to the Derry. Robbers could win two games in a row, and then that gap could open up again. So, look, it hasn't been great with Shamrock Robbers, but it's been good for the league that it's still close and it's still tight, and someone could catch them. Yeah, and the Cork point of view, Johnny, as well. I mean, obviously, they're obviously we kind of touched on them a little bit, like they're struggling, obviously, at the other end, uh, occupying the uh, relegation playoff spot. But obviously, we heard uh, Kevin Doherty in terms of staying um, at uh, at Drada. But for Cork, you know, they they seem to be in a little bit of a in a weird state of flux. No permanent manager, and um, obviously, in a in a difficult position in the table. They've, they've lost 15 games I think this season Raph you know just looking at the table here and you know the bad thing for them is you know with, with draw the loss like Sligo loss so they're still kind of hanging in they're still hanging in to try and catch one of them but 10 games left it's a, it's a four game turnaround for them really three or four game turnaround to get back in and with losing 15 matches out of 26 that doesn't not likely going to happen unless there's a, a massive change of form. So I just think it'll stay around the same. I think unless the wheels fall off, draw it. That's the only thing they can hope for. With Lee Buckley there doing the two jobs, management and trying to run the director of football and all that, it's not ideal. You know, the takeover of the club, all these things take time. 
again, getting back to what Kevin was probably looking at all this as well. And uh, it's going to be difficult for them. It's, it's, it's going to be, uh, I think it'll be the playoffs for them. And I wouldn't like to be playing Waterford United in the playoff if that's who they're going to be playing. Yeah, and uh, then of course I uh, touched on Dundalk and uh, that John Martin free kick, uh, Keith. I mean, it, he stood over it Ronaldo style, and the technique was pretty much that. Like that's an unbelievable goal. Yeah, it was a lovely strike. <laughs> just, just as he hit it, I was thinking it has half a chance. And look, the first thing when when it goes in goalkeeper side like that, and it's it's thirty thirty five yards out, you're thinking maybe the goalkeeper's been done here, but. You're just not expecting that there's a little bit of movement on the ball as well. The keeper should do good, but it's a decent, decent strike. And even the the, the Shelbourne goal, the wood, the wood finish was lovely coming in on his right foot, just passing in. And like you said, you're never really sure with these boys coming across the water because you haven't really had first team football what they're going to be like. But Wood looks to be a, a, a really good addition to Shelbourne. Looks like he has a bit of bit of stardust in him. And, yeah, look, I like Shelbourne. I'd like to do them do well. I know a lot of people with, with Damien Duff and Shelbourne, they, they can be roped up the long way. They're probably not great to watch on the eye, but I really like what they're doing there. I think Damien Duff is getting the most out of Shelbourne. And yeah, I'd, I'd like to see them do well. And, you know, there's obviously, you know, you look at Bowes, uh, St. Pat's, Shamrock Rovers, even Dundalk, they're sort of detached somewhat from the rest of the league in their own little race. So to get Shelbourne into the mix there, I think it'll be better for the league again, and it just makes everything stronger. So, yeah, long may I continue. Really enjoy watching Shells doing what they do. Yeah, and Harry Woods. Raph, just, just yeah, on that, yeah. Raph, sorry, just while, while I'm thinking of it, you know, with Shelbourne, they, they, you know, Damien has them playing the way he plays, and we spoke about this, and they're so so hard to play against, they're organised, but they do need to start adding, you know, Wood coming in, they need to start adding players in, especially around midfield where they can get on the ball and control games. And I think, you know, if Shelbourne can add a player or two, they'll be well up there in the mix over the next year or two. Yeah, and uh, I think the only issue with Harry Wood, apart the goal, brilliant, the the goal celebration with the worm. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, not too sure. Other people can judge that, but uh, uh the uh, the other the flip. Sorry, say that again. You just see people doing that the last dance in Copperstone. She's doing the worm in the middle of the dance floor. I haven't, I haven't entered that establishment in a very long time. So I need to avoid. <laughs> Although maybe I should, maybe I should go back um, and try out some moves there. But um, the other the flip side of it from a Dundalk point of view, Keith was uh, obviously the the big news during the week was Daryl Horgan uh, coming back. He's obviously had a really good career at Dundalk, and then um, since then as well when he's gone across to, to England and Scotland and coming back in a two and a half year deal. Obviously playing under his former teammate now Stephen O'Donnell as well has won seventeen Ireland caps. Huge experience. Um, this is obviously just the first game back, but uh, what what's the impact you're expecting from him now over the I suppose the run in and then going into next season? Yeah, I, I think Daryl is a is a great player. He's, he's very nippy, very agile. He'll run the channels and he walks all day long. And that's from a coach, you know what you're going to get when you're putting him out on the pitch. You know you're going to get an eight or seven hour, ten hour Daryl every time. And he has that little bit of ability to unlock defenses. I think it was a, he played a lovely little ball with the outside of his right foot. Now, as a coach, I'm screaming at him saying, use that left foot. But his right foot is so good, he just plays it with the outside of his right. Technically very sufficient as well. So, I think he'd be good for the dressing room as well. There's a couple of younger lads, a couple of lads who haven't played in the league before. So, Daryl will be able to talk to them and just bring the dressing room on a little bit. And I think Stephen O'Donnell knows what he's doing, bringing them in. Obviously, we work together, uh, work together as well. So, yeah, I think it's a match made in heaven. And I think that... It's a, it's a decent strike, and I think it's a sign that makes them dark better. And like you said, Rafa, a, a, a two-year deal is, is brilliant for him. And yeah, I, I think we'll see. Uh, I think we'll see. I think Daryl still has a little bit left in the locker to give us. I don't think he's by any means finished. You know, a lot yeah. of people when you when you finish in England and you come back, people I think, and is is he just fizzing and out? I think Daryl still has a bit to bit to show. Yeah, and then turn our thoughts to what's happening in England. And before we talk about the the Premier League and obviously the what we would have seen in the Community Shield yesterday as well, um, there's the move for James McLean going to Wrexham after the end of his uh, Wigan career. Now, Wrexham, of course, in League Two, haven't been promoted from the National League, but their story is very interesting. Been the subject of a documentary. Of course, their owners are very well known. Rob McElhenney from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. For anybody who watches that show, like uh, like myself, or also Ryan Reynolds, who's probably the, the slightly better known of the two both Hollywood actors obviously but I guess the more important thing McLean still an Irish international recently won his 100 cap Keith but 
what you know when you look at the level he's going to be playing at league two does it have any bearing whatsoever um on his international career at least in the short term and then maybe obviously he's 34 as well so you know he's coming more towards the end than than the beginning but uh i suppose what's your take on i suppose the level he's going to be playing at and how that impacts things um from an irish point of view yeah, I think the level he's playing at is probably not its not good enough to get into the Irish team. Uh, I think that has to be said. And I think James knows that. I think um, with James getting his 100th cap, he, he, I think that was the milestone he wanted to reach in his own head. He's done that. It's a huge achievement to become a centurion. So I think James has probably made uh, made peace with that and thought, I fancy going to Wrexham. Look, the, the level of football, it is League 2. But I think from the outside looking in, we can all agree that it's a very exciting uh, project, what, what Ryan Reynolds and they're trying to do over there. So, look, I think if Ryan Reynolds was getting the blower to me, I find it very hard to say no to him as well. Such a char- charismatic man. The wife would love to meet him. So, look, it's, it's a very, very interesting project. I don't think his football will is going to be accelerated because of this. I don't think it helps him in a football way. But, look, it, it is what it is. And sometimes when you're when you're 34 and you're looking down your last year or so, your last two years or so, you're not necessarily looking for the best football move. You're looking for something that can maybe prolong your career outside of football or, you know, just something a little bit different than, like I said, with James having his 100th cap, I don't think Ireland is in, in his thinking anymore. But it is a real shame because he's been a great servant for us and he's played well. He's never let us down. I don't think I don't think anybody's seen him getting his 100th cap and thought he's coming towards the end. I don't think that, that was in anybody's thought thinking. I think he still has a, still a great athlete, but playing at that level, I think uh, I think there's going to be a lot of people higher up the pecking order now than James. Yeah, but in the short term, do you kind of think um, at least in in this um, qualification campaign, given we're sort of halfway through and then there's only like those windows in September, October, November, that he'll be definitely involved in those anyway, but it's more the effect will be longer term once we go into into next year. Yeah, possibly, Rap. Uh, to be honest with you, I know Ryan Manning, I'm not so sure what, what's happening with him. I know he's... He, been called into Irish teams, he's not coming in, he hasn't, he's been injured. Ryan Manning for me is straight away for him in, even uh, I'm not so sure what's happening with Andy Stevens either, but Alan Brown can play left back. There's a lot of players that we that we can put in them positions, even Doherty can go over the left back when Seamus is there, he can play right, right wing back, centre half. So there's a lot of things that can happen in the short term. Why not put him into the squad? You know, he's great to have around. He he can still do do a do a, a job for us there at left back, left wing back. So why not? But I, I do think in you know when we start getting into it, I think this this qualifying campaign is already gone. I think we can all probably say we're just playing for a bit of pride now. But yeah, so if James was to play in them games, I don't think anybody's having a problem. But I think in the long term, you know, lads that are in the Championship, Premier League, on the bench in the Premier League, even League One, they've got to be knocking down Stephen Kenny's door and saying, "I'm playing at a higher level every week." After you've got to be, you've got to be having a look at me. So. In the short term, maybe he will still, you know, reel off a couple of more caps. But I think this is the beginning of the end of his international career. And the uh, the championship had already started, of course, at the weekend. Adam Ida and Will Keane were among the scorers uh, from an Irish point of view in their respective games. And of course, Aaron Connolly, Connolly now moved permanently one year deal to Hull City, Keith and. Um, I think there was a clip doing the rounds. Um, Shane Duffy's tackle on him uh, during the during the game between Norwich, where Shane Duffy's making um his competitive debut, and then also against Hull. Um, you know, it was uh blood and thunder stuff. Although I think b- both uh, both players took it well. Obviously, know know each other quite well from their time at Brighton. But uh, what you make of where Aaron Connolly is at as well in terms of his career and the club he's at, and the fact it is a one year deal as well. Uh, well, look, I, I think Hall is, is a decent standard. Obviously, he's, he was on the bench in the first game of the season in the Championship. But I, I, I'd say, again, Sean Dyche said to me years and years ago, Keith, it takes a second to get a reputation on a lifetime to lose it. I think Aaron has just got this reputation of being a bit of a jack the lad. That's the reason he's getting a one-year deal, I hope, because they're not so sure which way it's going to go. And if you look at Aaron in just a footballing sense, Aaron's a brilliant footballer. He's a lot of talent. So that would lead you to believe that maybe something off the pitch is not right or on a human level, he's just not operating as he should. So, look, I hope he gets it sorted out because when he, when he came on the scene, when he burst on the scene for Brighton, you know, we all sat there and we all had him in an order short and we were all envisioning what we think he could, he could become. He stuttered a little bit, but if he just gets his head down and works hard and just forget about the other stuff, just try and fall in love with football because if, if you fall in love with football, 
it will come out on the pitch. And sometimes I think he finds it a little bit hard to love football. And we've all, well, I've, I've been in that place before. So just try and find the love. And if you can find the love, and if he's getting out of bed with a smile, out of bed with a smile on his face, then half the battle is there. But I've seen the tackle with, with, with Shane and himself, and it's, it's happened. It happens all over. I have to say, I love that. If it was not less, I'd be a little bit disappointed in the two lads. We, I remember playing, Bournemouth uh, played against Ipswich, and Keith Andrews was playing for Ipswich at the time, and. I went to block a ball and he left it, he left a load of stud marks from the inside of me drawing all the way down to me knee. And when I looked at him, I went, Keith, he looked at me, oh, sorry, sorry, I didn't realise it was you, I didn't realise it was you. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know it was me. And the tail was ran off and I thought, well, I, I'd probably think a little bit less of him if he didn't do it to me. So, you know, it, it just is what it is. You, you know, everybody's friendly and all off the pitch, but on the pitch, there's no friends, especially when they're on the opposition team. Yeah, and uh, as you said, in regards to Connolly and I suppose the off the pitch and how it affects on the pitch is something he did talk about with uh, Paul Nealon from Irish Football Fan TV last year. Really good interview where he kind of opened up about it and kind of sensed that he recognises it and is looking to move on. But before we go, um, the Premier League, of course, is uh, coming back and uh, the Community Shield, your beloved Arsenal, Keith, um, you know, <laughs> last minute, uh, last minute goal uh, that the trust well shot the trossard took that deflected in and then they go and win on penalties. But you know when you look at the gap between City squad and what Arsenal brought in, which seems to be some really good signings. Um, what's your thoughts on the title race? Assuming Arsenal are going to be in it again, um, have they closed the gap enough uh, based on the players they bought? I think they've closed the gap. I think they're. I think they're still the second best team in the league. But I, I go back to the to the the final tour of, the, of last Premier League season when Arsenal played City and Arsenal were, were in the race and City needed to win and City just went and won 4 nil and absolutely blew Arsenal out of the water and I still think there's a gap from, from City to the rest I think Arsenal are second best but look at the, the likes of Kai Havertz coming in he doesn't hit the back of the net 20 times a season but he's a decent build-up player uh, Timber, very good defender he played left-back he can play left-back uh, Ben White can play right-back no problem with that Declan Rice coming in. I know he's coming in for a bit of stick, 105 million for a defensive midfield player. But I think, I, I hope and I think that our attacker will put offensive demands on him. When you win the ball, we don't just want you giving it to giving it to Odegaard and saying, that's my job done. We want you to get up there because he has the engine to be able to do it. We've seen him do it for England. We've seen him do it for West Ham on occasion. So I'd be putting a lot of demands on him to get up the pitch and be the centre midfielder that can defend and a centre midfielder that can attack because if Declan Rice starts in the back of the net with Odegaard, then I think Arsenal are in a really, really good place. But look, I, I know Arsenal ended up winning on penalty draft, but I don't I don't I don't read a lot into this. I really don't. I think it's it's pretty much viewed as a pre-season friendly. Kevin De Bruyne on the bench. I know City were strong, but not as strong as they could have been. And yeah, when you look at John Stone popping into midfield, it's gonna be the same all City, and it's so so hard to hard to defend against. You look at I I, I did think Gundogan was gonna be a miss. Mares going out as well is going to be a miss, but then you bring in Kovic and you're thinking, it doesn't set the world on fire. Kovic is for a very, very solid player, 8 out of 10, does very, very well for Croatia whenever he plays. And then with Guardiola coming in as well, 77 million, brilliant fella, another Croatian as well, centre half, set the, the World Cup and the, uh, the Euros on fire as well. Very, very highly sought after. They've strengthened defensively, and we all know how good they are in attack. So I think City will win it again. And I have to be honest, I, I know I'm an Arsenal fan and I'm probably being a bit pessimistic, but I think I don't think we have the bench to compete in the Champions League and on in the Premier League. So I think the, the four that we go in the Premier League or, or sorry, the Champions League or any European competition, it could hinder us in the Premier League. Because I look at our bench uh, yesterday for instance, and there was only Trossard that I really fancied. I know Kenty's on the bench, but Kenty's not somebody who you would like to have all the time. And again, with Jesus' injuries. Is he just is he robust enough? If we get him to play thirty games a season, we've been doing well. But yeah, look, I still think City will win at Canter after to be honest. Yeah, and then Manchester United, Liverpool, and Newcastle, Johnny. I mean, they'd probably be the sort of next in line. Obviously, United and Newcastle playing Champions League, and Liverpool in the Europa League, and all have made some interesting signings. And of course, United were in, were over here playing Athletic Bilbao at the Aviva Stadium, um, because I just happened to be on the dart and uh, I'd forgotten the game was on, and then just uh, ended up being <laughs> stuck with a load of Man United fans for a while until they jumped off uh, around Lansdowne Road. But what do you make of those three clubs in particular? United, Newcastle, and Liverpool. Well, you know, I think 
Ten Hag has went in there last year, you know, finding his way, and I think he knows what he wants to do now with moving players on and the players he wants to bring in. You know, Spurs. You know, is Harry Kane staying? Is he gone? If they got enough, Liverpool. He playing the tours tonight, will he, Raf? And the, you know, I yeah. don't know. Is it difficult for them? Chelsea new manager coming in. Keita spoke, you know, in detail about Arsenal. For me, it's a bit like countdown. You know, the show was beyond. No, I do it's not. Yeah. It's Manchester City and, a, and any other five and any other order. It can be Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, Man United, Liverpool, and, and any of them five to fill in the, the next places. And I just think City, as Keith alluded to there, have just added exactly what he wanted. They let go what he wanted to let go. And I think, as I said, it'll be a bit like countdown. City from one to the top and the rest, any other five. Yeah, uh, I think Dinny Corcoran, if I remember, was on Countdown once as well. So that was, was the kind of the League, of, League of Ireland <laughs> <laughs> connection. But, um, Keith, just on, um, I suppose, Liverpool's midfield, lack of a number six with uh, Fabinho and mm. Henderson going, and then also Man United then filling the centre-forward position with this uh, Danish striker, Rasmus Hoyland. You know, it, it leaves both clubs in intriguing positions, I suppose, in a completely different way. Yeah, well, I think we can. I think with Hoyland going into Manchester United, I, I think we all agree they wanted Harry Kane, but they just got priced out of that. Seventy-two million for for Hoyland. He scored ten goals last season for Atalanta, so they bought an awful lot of potential. He wasn't the name that was on the tip of everybody's tongue when United were looking for a striker. So, look, he he seems a decent player, but is he going to go and set the Premier League on fire? I'm not sure, but. A lot of what a lot of people do now is they take Haaland and you think, right, well, let's see how he how he compares to Haaland. Haaland's out doing his own thing. Don't be comparing him to Haaland. He, he's not an Erling Haaland. He's not in that bracket. But look, he, he we we'll just have to wait and see with him. I, I think yeah, I think Mason Mount is a good signing. I think he brings United on a little bit. I think Onan is a good one because the gay one was just lingering and lingering. Every time he made a mistake, it looked like it seemed like the whole world was jumping on his back. And when that starts to happen with a goalkeeper at the club, it's time to move on because. The fans just aren't happy with you. So, well, Nana coming in, I think, is a good one as well. But to go to Liverpool, look, McAllister woke up winner. I think he's a brilliant signing in, uh, in the door. Can't wait to see him play. But Fabinho, Henderson, Firmino and Milner all going out of that dressing room. And I'm not talking about, you know, actually playing on the pitch. But there's a lot of standard setters. There's a lot of leaders there. And I know Van Dijk and Alisson are, are still there. But... I don't think they're, they're natural leaders like Henderson is, like Fabinho was, like Milner was. Them lads going out of the dressing room, I, I just fear for Liverpool a bit. An awful lot of talent, but an awful lot of new bodies coming in and new faces coming in. Are they going to play this rock and roll style of football that Jordan Klopp's demands? Are they going to be standing on the halfway line again? Is Trent going to be popping into midfield? I just think there's a, an awful lot of question marks over Liverpool. And look, it could all click. It could all go really, really well and I think a good season for Liverpool is top four. I have to be honest. I think they've strengthened this season, but I think an awful lot of the Premiership Premiership is strengthened. I, I expect Chelsea to be a lot better. I know there's a, a big turnover in in terms of ins and outs, but I think Pochettino will get that right. He, he has a track record of getting younger players on side and just getting them playing away at football. So I expect Chelsea to be better. I think Arsenal will be strong. And I think Newcastle will do okay. I think the uh, Tanal coming in from AC Milan, the Italian under 21 international. Can't wait to see him with Bruno Gomares, Harvey Barnes on the wing as well. I think Newcastle has strengthened quite well as well. So, yeah, look, I, I think even to go back to sports, obviously being an Arsenal fan, Madison Solomon, <coughs> excuse me, Mona Solomon is a brilliant, brilliant footballer from Shakhtar and S coming in. Was on, on loan at Fulham. Kulizewski's made that full time as well. But it all hinges on Kane. If Kane goes out that door, if you take 20, 25 goals out of that sports team, you know, I, I'm thinking they could finish, you know, between 10th and 12th, somewhere like that, outside Europe, really, really poor. If you take that 25 goals out, if Kane's 25 goals out of sports last season, you know, you know, what sort of trouble would they be in this season? Yeah, and then I think Casemiro as well for United, if, if, if he doesn't stay injury-free for United, I don't think they have a replacement in midfield for the work that he does for Man United as well. I think he's, you know, bringing Hoyland in. But if Casemiro doesn't have the same type of season as he has last year, that definitely will affect you, United this season. Sorry, Raf, go ahead. Yeah, because actually you mentioned Casemiro. Every time he got sent off um, or was off, like suspended, 
their results would dip until he comes back. So mm. it was an interesting one. I mean, it's one of those, uh, you know, there's a lot of focus. Obviously, Rashford's brilliant in that, and but there's a lot of focus on like, the, the forward players. But uh, Casemiro is a real linchpin in there. But uh, at the other end, uh, the relegation, well, expected relegation battle. We won't know, obviously, until things kick off. But obviously, Everton survived just about Johnny um, last season. I've, their transfer business, not much seems to be going on. Everything that's happening with the boardroom, there hasn't been any change. Wolves, we talked about recently as well on the podcast, are, um, you know, they're they're a little bit with Matt Doherty going back. They're, you know, they're they've kind of tightened the belt a little bit. And then you've the promoter clubs, Burnley under Vincent Company, you've Sheffield United, mm. and of course we'll be keeping an eye on John Egan. And then you mentioned Luton Town earlier as well, and they're a bit of a wild card. Don't know what to expect uh, from them really, because some some of these clubs they can. Um, they can be a real surprise package the first season they come up without any pressure uh, or it can go the other way as well but what's your thoughts on that end uh, of the table and who will uh, who'll be uh, who's in more danger I think Everton have spent a lot of money over the last while and they haven't spent it wisely you know and they're probably sitting tight and you're looking at what's around them and saying like you know can we consolidate here can we just make sure again we stay up get the club get a sorted out boardroom level you know, get us sorted out managerial level and players. So I, th- I think everything will be all right because they, they got the fright from last season and they need to start the season well. Wolves, even Crystal Palace, you know, uh, Sahar's off to Turkey, isn't he? So Burnley coming up, Vincent Company, great pedigree. He knows, he knows the Premier League. It's not like he's, he's a manager coming in that doesn't know the Premier League. Uh, will he have enough? Maybe Sheffield United and Luton, probably the two. But uh, yeah, it, and then there'll be a surprise as well. You know, there will be a surprise team that will will drop into, into that relegation zone. But I think for the teams that we were, we're speaking about, it's vital that they get off to a really, really good start. Get out of the blocks, get the points on board early and just get ahead and build up a bit of confidence. And then you can stutter along with a draw here, a couple of losses and, and a win. So I think that, that's important for the teams at, at that end of the table. Yeah, and Everton, of course, will have a new stadium start uh, next season at Bramley Dock, um, Keith. But I guess the the biggest asset that they have will be Sean Dyche. I mean, he's he knows um, he knows how to keep a club up. Obviously, the um, you know his time with Burnley and uh, just what and you've spoken about what type of manager he is as a man manager as well. Um, you know, he's he's more important than any of the players they'll have there. Yeah, I, I think so. I think he's uh, he's. Perfect for either league, you know, he obviously kept him in the Premier League and I, I was steadfast in the opinion that he would do that. And it wasn't because I seen, you know, everything going and blowing teams away under him. It's just because I knew he would motivate the players, he would get them all on side. And Johnny knows when when you when you're a manager and you have players that want to run through brick walls for you and you know they, they the team is together and he just he gets this vibe of it's us against the world and when you have that it's you get that back to the wall feeling. I think you've seen that under Everton last season when Lampard left, they were a little bit loose out because yes, a little bit loose all over the pitch even when they had the ball. But Dice just he just went back to bases. So we're going to be really hard to beat. We're going to get the fans on side. We're going to get some sort of a connection with them. And I know the off the field stuff is still rumbling on. It's not great, but Dan Juma coming in, if Dice can just get them defensively solid, like I think he will do. He's had a full pre-season with them now. He knows what they want. They won't give any goals up, up cheaply. It'll be like the old Burnley, very, very rigid. But if Fanzuma can come in and score a couple of goals, then I think everything will be fine. Well, look, I, I, I'm like Johnny. I think they could be anybody. I think everything will be... They will flare for it, but I think ultimately they'll be okay. But you look at Luton, Sheffield, and you know, Burnley, Forest, Bournemouth. Will Bournemouth be as good as they were last year? I mean, I relegated them about three times last season, but... They just keep bouncing back and bouncing back, and yeah, and they, they've they've, they've changed manager as well. That, I think that might be the the thing because uh, the, the the manager that was there towards the end of last season had done a really good job in stabilising them, and then they've gone and sort of moved on. Yeah, well, Gary O'Neill was excellent. You know, when you throw your mind back to Scott Parker, I think they lost nine to Liverpool, and you're thinking, yeah, Bournemouth are going. This is going to be a long hard season, and Gary O'Neill comes in and he does okay, steadies the ship, and. Every time I, I thought you were relegated, they'd come back and win a game, and win two games, and draw the game, and thinking, there's just something about them. So the new manager coming in, how is he going to do it? Is he going to play a bit of football? It all remains to be seen. But the one the one team I'm, I'm interested in, probably no surprise, is probably Bournemouth. I think it's very interesting with Vincent, Vincent Company coming there, trying to play a bit of football. 
how they they set the championship on fire last season, 100 points, lovely freestone, uh, free free playing football. Is he going to get a, a dig out? I know he, he signed a couple of players here and there. No names jump off the sheet. Is thinking that's a great sign. And Dara O'Shea has gone in. He will be put under a lot of pressure to play football out from the back. I know that's the way Vincent Company wants to play. So, and obviously Luton with Benny going there, we want to see him do well. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of Irish interest, but yeah, I think it's only only one of about six or seven could go. Yeah, we'll there's see. one thing for sure, Keith. Sorry, one thing for sure, Keith. Yeah, everything will come back after pre-season very, very fit. And you'd know that with John Deutsch. <laughs> uh, he, he has a day. We've we done it down a photo a while, John, right down in Cork. And he had this day. We had, I think we were there for 10 days. <clears throat> and he said to us, lad, one of the days, like the sports scientist Mark Howard used to take all the training. He said, one of the days, I'm taking training. I'm not going to tell you his win. Because he'll just turn up and it'll be me. And there'll be no science behind it. It'll just be run till he gets sick. And we, we're all like... Two days go in, three days in, four days in. When is it coming? When is it coming? And one day we turn up and there's, I, I kid you not, there's JCB tires on the Gaelic pitch down the Fort of Ireland. And there was two of them. We had to pick it up, run down to one end of the Gaelic pitch, like wheel it, push it. The other team had to stop it while it's in full flow. You're getting like bones off the tires, your knees are sprays with no tops on. I'm just running and running with tires. It was just mental, but... About about six months into the into the championship season, we're obviously playing Saturday Tuesday, Saturday Tuesday. We're feeling a bit tired. He put the video up of us in Fort Wilders running around with the tires. He said, "You aren't that tired. You're tired now, lads, but you aren't that tired. You have more to go." It's just little things like that that keep you trudging along in the season. You're thinking, "I don't feel as bad as I did in Cork. I'm okay, actually." And yeah, it's just really little things, but we will get them fit, John. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, well, I think Seamus Coleman will probably have appreciated that summer. So, although obviously he's coming back uh, from injury, but he's obviously a great, uh, great pro and a great character. So he'll uh, he'll take that on board, I'm sure, once he's back fit. But uh, I think we're done uh, for this week's podcast. We'll be back next week. Obviously, as we're recording, um, the World Cup last 16s are continuing. Australia with a Ford goal are leading Denmark 1-0. So potentially the co-hosts could be uh, going through to the quarterfinals, but obviously another half football to go there as well. And of course, every game live on RT2, um, RT television and the RT player and the highlight show tonight is 8pm Monday night and there'll be another one tomorrow as well. But Keith Tracy and Johnny McDonald, thanks very much for your time. Cheers, Raf. Thank you. Cheers, Raph.